who do you know better? The people you talk to every day or the people you talk to every once in a while? Every day, right? You know what? That's the same as prayer, right? When we pray, the, the frequency we pray talks about how close we are to God, right? The closer we are to God, the more we pray, right? Do you guys, do you guys ever pray just by yourself? I love you. Right? I love you. Know, here's the, you. I love you too, buddy. And here, I, so here's the thing. When I was like your age, you know what I remember? I remember praying, but only when my mother would pray with me when we would go to bed. I never knew I could pray just by myself, and we can. God says if we call upon him and we pray, he will listen to us. Do you know that? So that's good. So let's pray about praying. How's that? I'm very ready. Okay, buddy. We're going to pray, buddy, okay? Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in a time of prayer. We thank you, Lord, that our prayers are just talking to you, speaking to you, um, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that, that the closer we come to you, the more we will desire to pray and talk to you. And I thank you for these, these young hearts here, Lord. And I pray for all your God's children, Lord, that we would all have a desire to come to you to pray without ceasing um, because we desire to draw closer to you. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would always have that desire. I pray especially for these, these young hearts here, Lord, that they would have a, a knowledge of that they can come to you anytime, any place and pray to you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's children say, Amen. Amen. All right. I got to make you some green holla holla. All right. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Near the end of last month or last year, felt led by the Lord to take a break from our study of Romans and cover certain areas in the in the new year. It was from what God was showing me um, in my own heart, areas of gospel change that he was working in me, still is working in me. Lord willing, we'll return to Romans next week. First, I want to finish out this last area of focus. I've titled this sermon, Combat Outposts, Lower Borough Baptist Church, and I'll explain that in a minute, but this is where it started in my heart. God was working in me, and as I began to peel the onion towards the root and towards the, the source and the basis of it, God began to um, work and show other sermons that we've covered in the last month. It started on New Year's Eve. With a, a new year, a, a new you, and prompted by the desires that we have for New Year's resolutions, 
The resolution of being renewed must first come from a heart that is made new, born again. As we know, New Year's resolutions don't always stick. That gym membership that you signed up for maybe is already going to waste. But we need to be renewed daily, that that renewal that we get from God. The, from there, we did a little history lesson on our great nation and the Great Awakening, a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, sermon and a message that God used to bring revival and discussion of hell and the gospel and the need for grace. And after that, we dove into revival a little bit more to see where it comes from and how we need revival and not revivalism and we need it daily. We saw that we can't force a revival. It has to come from the Lord, but we do need that renewal daily. Last week then we were reminded of the outcomes of a new heart, of a renewed heart, of a revived heart that we are salt and we are light and we are cities that are set upon a hill. God doesn't just give us new hearts and punch our ticket to heaven and save us, but he saves us with a purpose that ultimately leads to his glory. Now in the final message of this series, we're going to look at that purpose, that mission given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. We went from being born again and seeing our need to the gospel, the gospel making us new, and from that newness, that needing that daily refreshing and renewal, and then a reminder of who we are in Jesus. And now armed with that new heart, with the gospel, with daily renewal, a reminder of who we are, we go to battle. Today, it's about that battle, that mission to go into battle, that war being waged in life, especially as we walk out the doors of this church and we fight. So as we look at Matthew 16 together, we see that our Lord, our Savior, our leader, our captain, our commander, our God sends us out as his warriors from Combat outpost, Lower Borough Baptist Church to take on the enemy at the gates of hell. So Matthew 16, I'm going to read verses 13 to 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. <clears throat> so first, the rock. What is this rock? We could spend weeks on this passage, so we're going to touch it at a little bit higher level today. We want to see what Jesus is referring to as the rock that he is building his church upon and what he's then doing with that rock. So at the time that this was happening, Caesarea Philippi had recently been renamed so by one of Herod the Great's sons. You recall Herod from the story that, <clears throat> excuse me, of Jesus' birth, that same Herod, he died, and his sons, one of them was Philip the Tetrarch. So the, the city was previously named Panaeus, after the god Pan, the Greek god of the wild, of shepherds. Pan was a half-goat, half-man-looking creature. Pan was particularly evil with a focus on sexuality and sensuality and fertility. And those who worship Pan, they would have cult prostitutes. And the evil was on display in this city. And because Pan was god of the wild, they did not worship him in temples, but in caves. And in the countryside. And they would carve holes out of these giant rocks or bedrocks. And they would put statues of Pan in there and they would worship there. Archaeologists have found that at the time that Jesus would have brought the apostles here, there was a shrine carved into the side of the mountain, on the side of the, the bedrock if you will, so you can picture the situation of him bringing them here. I can only imagine they were thinking, what are we doing here? Of what you're going to teach us, why does it have to be here? But Jesus brings them here, Caesarea Philippi, this evil place, the very gates of hell, if you will, this rock where false gods are worship, where sex and sensuality and worldliness is put on display and worshipped. And he asks them, in that context, who do people say that he is? They answer, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. No one really knows, right? They see the miracles. They see a lot of stuff going on. They know that, that God is at work. They're curious. They're following around. He's healing people. So he asks these 12 who are with him all the time, who see everything, who he's been teaching. They've heard every bit of his teaching. Who do you say that I am? Peter, or Petros in the Greek, answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Not this statue here, 
that these people are here to worship, this false God, this dead God, this fake God, you are the son of the living God, the real God, the one God. Jesus tells him, you are blessed. Jesus isn't blessing him. He's not saying you're blessed, putting a blessing upon Peter. He's acknowledging that Peter's already blessed because of what Peter has just confessed, what Peter knows to be true. He's expressing that he's been blessed by God. Why? Because Peter did not figure this out on his own. He didn't learn this at the temple. No one taught him. God himself revealed it to Peter. This truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world, the one they've been waiting on, the Messiah, this truth, this rock of gospel truth is that Jesus is the Christ and revealed by the Father in heaven. This is the gospel that Jesus is the Christ and that we need the Christ, the Savior. We are all sinners, every one of us. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has earned ourselves a punishment in hell and in eternity inside the gates of hell. But Jesus came, the Savior, died, took the punishment for those who would have that same confession. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God, not the fake God of this world, the things that will die off, the things that can't really do anything, the things that don't have an everlasting effect. You're the son of the living God. I'm going to cast my lot with you. If you do so, if you have that same confession, you have that same hope that he's the Savior, you are blessed. And flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your Father who is in heaven. Roman Catholics have always taught and said that Jesus is instituting Peter here as the head of the church, and then all Roman bishops who follow Peter are his successors, and the head of Jesus' church here on earth. But that isn't what Jesus is saying at all. What he built his church upon was not a person, but the gospel, this confession revealed to us by God that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and that God has to reveal that to you. And that is what the gates of hell will not be able to prevail or stand against. So Peter, Petros, or Petros, is the rock, and that he is the first that this was revealed to, and he will be used by Jesus to build the church on earth. And we see this in Acts, but we certainly don't see Peter as an infallible human being. Even his words, right? Peter still sins. Paul rebukes Peter in Acts. Talks about it in Galatians. There's no preeminence of Peter in the Bible. He's sent out by the church of Jerusalem. But he's an owner of this gospel blessing. 
And Jesus is using a play on words here. Peter, as I've said, means petros, means a rock, like a stone, like a big stone. But he uses a different word. Your Bible probably says rock, but if it says bedrock, it's closer to what it is. It's Petra, and on this Petra, you're Petros, and on this Petra, meaning bedrock, meaning gigantic stone, almost a mountain, I will build my church. Not on you, on this bedrock, this foundation. Same word, same word, Petra, bedrock, as his tomb. Matthew 27, 59 and 60. And Joseph took the body, Jesus' body, and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the Petra, bedrock. He didn't cut it into a stone. He cut it into this gigantic stone, carved a cave, carved out of it. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. So it's not Peter. Peter is the rock, but he is not the bedrock. Furthermore, furthermore, we know that when Jesus is saying and giving the keys to the kingdom, that it isn't to Peter alone, but to all who would make this gospel confession. All Christians gathered in his name as a church have the keys to the kingdom. And we know that's true because if you flip your Bible one more page to Matthew 18 and look at verse 18, he's saying that and referring to Christians gathered in his name. He's talking about church discipline, and he says in Matthew 18, 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now that is a sermon for a different time for everything that that means, but the point here today is he's talking about his church. He's talking about those who make that gospel confession. Jesus is building his church. And Peter and these apostles will be first to teach the world the good news, this gospel news. And then we get the mission. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is the church. It is the gospel confession of his church is what the gates of hell or Hades, or Sheol, will not stand against. The gates represent an entrance in and out of the city, but also the power and the prestige of those who reside in the city or inside the gate. Prominent citizens and leaders and kings would sit in the city gates. They would hold council and they would meet with citizens there, represent the city. Hell or Hades represents not only evil and eternal punishment, but death itself. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not stand against his church, against this gospel message, he means all of the above. Evil will not stand, will not prevail against his church. 
eternal punishment will not stand, will not prevail over his church. Even death itself will not be able to prevail to conquer this gospel message and the true people of his church. It will not conquer. It will not control. It will not be able to withstand the power of his gospel confession. A very powerful promise from our Savior. I want you to notice something in particular here, which is the point that struck me. Here's what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that the gates of his church will be so powerful that hell will not be able to prevail against it as Satan and the enemies of his church attack his church. Jesus is not saying that Satan and evil and death and sin in the world attack. We won't hunker down inside of our base or our bunker of a church and wait for a rescue as the evil world and Satan attack us inside here. He's not saying that we are on the gospel defense. He is saying that his church will be on the gospel offense. Big difference. We are not the invaded army fending off evil. Evil is fending off us, and it will not prevail. And I cannot speak to previous wars, but the one that I was in, that I was a part of, involved of, hunting down of terrorists. And the enemy was out there, not invading our country, and our job was to go over to their land and find them and destroy them. And because we were not in our own country, we needed bases of operations where we could set up equipment, airfields, our warriors, our supplies, our headquarters to conduct the war fighting. I could go off and tell you how the Air Force is the first one in, but that's for a whole other discussion. But this is usually one of the first things we do, and we start bringing our supplies in there, and from there, we go out and we find the enemy where they are in their land. In Afghanistan, we divided the, the country up into regions. We placed a major base in an airfield in each one of those regions. But soon, as we left those major bases, the enemy would pick up on that, and the soldiers traveling from the main base in various locations, and they would soon begin to place IEDs, improvised explosive devices, and ambushes along those roads. So we started building what was called forward operating bases. These were smaller bases outside of the main base, where we could house troops and send them out into combat from there to go in to enemy territory or surround their strongholds and wipe them out. Forward operating bases, or FOBs as we call them, are more dangerous. They get you closer to the action so you don't have to travel as far. They're effective 
but in enemy-controlled land where they don't wear uniforms and you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys, they learn to adapt and they learn to hide and you need to be able to get even closer to take the fight to them. So in order to do that, right in the middle of enemy territory, we built combat outposts, small, lighter, guarded camps deep in enemy territory with the purpose of bringing the fight to the enemy daily. Jesus said his gospel will be taken to the gates of hell, deep in enemy territory, in their own backyard. And we often treat it, though, don't we, like we're the ones on the defensive. Like we have this earth, and the conquering enemy is slowly taking it over, and we must hide out, gather together, run, stay in our our church clique, stay in our church group, so the enemy can't conquer us. That isn't the way Jesus says it is. It's not the way he commanded us to live. The enemy already has this world. We are the invading army. We don't hide inside our stronghold of a church and hope he doesn't get us. Our church is a cop. A combat outpost deep in enemy territory. And our mission is to take the fight to Satan and his army. On the rock of our faith, the proclamation and truth of the gospel given to us by our Father in heaven, we will make our stand. But the fight is at the gates of hell. So how do we do that? What's some application Jesus is telling us here that we should know and apply to our lives. Pretty obvious, but I'll summarize for you. First, you must know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Because someone's religious out there, maybe seems like a good person. They treat people nice. There's not a lot of blatant outward sin in their life. Don't think that that can earn them any sort of ticket to heaven. There's one way to heaven, and that is that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the only Christ. There is one mediator between God and man. As wonderful as his mother is, it's not his mother. It's no other saint but Jesus Christ alone. You must believe in this. You must hope in this. Come into church. It's not going to do it. No good works. It's not going to do it. You have to hope and surrender and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Flesh and blood doesn't reveal this to us, number two. But our Father in heaven, it is the only boast we have, Jesus Christ. Our hope is built on nothing less, as we sang. We can't trick people into confessing these things. We can't make this water down the gospel, make it so 
great and entertaining for people to come here because they're going to get just lifted up and feel good about themselves, ready to, to conquer the world. We, we don't do that, right? We can't convince people. We can't water down. We can't manipulate and mutilate the gospels that make it easier for people. We give them. God has to reveal it to them. So we give them God, who he really is. And we say, this is him. And just like we talked about a few weeks ago, everyone has to, to measure that up. Everyone has to weigh the costs and say, do I want to surrender all this world has to offer to follow Jesus? Do I want to surrender? But we can't make them make that choice. We can't trick them into making that choice. Just like Peter, God has to reveal that to them. Number three, the gospel truth, this gospel truth, truth is the bedrock of the church. When we fight against evil, we must remember the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and the gospel is the bedrock or the foundation. Give people the gospel. Give it through the word of God, and then trust the word of God. Pray like crazy for God to open hearts, for God to reveal truth as you're giving it to them. But give them the word of God. Give them the true gospel. You've got to know it. You've got to know how it's affected you, how it's worked in your own life. The greatest testimony that you can give is what you already believe and know to be true. If you don't know it to be true, start there. Fourth, remember the victory is one, the gates of hell will not stand, will not prevail against us, against us. We live in a victim mindset world. There are real victims out there, but in our humanity, we see that the pity that they might get or the softness of the stance that, that they might get or the compassion and we tend to, in situations, make ourselves the victim. And whoever's the greater victim gets the more compassion. When it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not a victim. You made yourself an enemy of God. You didn't come to your rescue. He came to your rescue. He saved you. He called you out of darkness into light. You didn't come up with this mission yourself. You get no praise and no accolades, but all glory goes to him. But he calls you and he sends you out. Remember, when you're rejected, you're not the victim in that rejection. The gates of hell will not prevail against this army. We are the attackers, the invaders, the conquerors. So go and teach, and make disciples, and fight sin out of a place of victory. Share the gospel. Serve. Be salt. Be light. Be that city set on the hill. Be intentional in this warfare. 
Don't let the warfare come to you. You take it to the enemy. You know the things in life when the enemy takes the battle to you, when you're tired, when you're alone, when you're hungry. You, you know these things, how the enemy takes the battle to you. Switch it. Take the battle. This is what Christ is saying. You must not see yourselves as victims to sin and evil. You are in a battle, a battle that Jesus will win and a battle that Jesus has won. And you are conquerors in this battle against evil. Evil will fight. Evil may knock you down. But may no, make no mistake, evil will lose. On this great combat outpost of Lower Borough Baptist Church here that Jesus has established, not for you to come in here and hide, not for these to be the only people that you ever interact with, but this is a place where you restock where you refresh, where you get encouraged in the fight, and then you walk out those doors and you take the fight to the enemy. We are here for that. That is why we're here. We, what a great thing. We get to worship our God, to sing his praises, to pray to him, all while he's restocking and equipping us and refreshing us and regrouping us to take the battle to the gates of hell. We are the church of the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gospel confession that you started that day at the very gates of hell, evil on display with Peter. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Savior of the world, our only hope, the point, the focus of our worship, our God. Thank you for revealing this to us. Thank you for making us part of your army. You don't need us to save people, but you use us to be a part of this. And we thank you for that. And I pray for all who hear the sound of my voice, Lord, that they may be encouraged in this fight. They, that a realization may occur that it isn't about hunkering down and staying away, but being used by you to go and make disciples. So give us that encouragement, Lord. Work that in us, but bring, do it all in our hearts for your glory. That's the ultimate purpose. People are coming to saving faith for your glory. The world and the good works are all for your glory. The, the changing of things for the better in this world are all for your glory. We gather here as a church all for your glory. Let that never leave our hearts, never leave our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.